Last week we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, who he was and who he was not. The Holy Spirit is not a mist. He's not a vapor. He's not a force. It's not Star Wars. He's not a ghost. I'm sorry, King James Version 1611 translated that ghost. And that kind of is some bad thinking, isn't it? You think about a ghost, that's something to be afraid of. We don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Something I, I did that a lot of you quoted on Facebook, the Holy Spirit doesn't make us weird. You make you weird. We're all weird. Come on. That Pentecostal person that you know that's weird, they were weird before they were Pentecostal. So don't blame that on the Lord. Don't blame that on the Holy Spirit. We discover from Scripture that the Holy Spirit is our helper. He is here to come alongside us and to encourage us and to convict us of sin if necessary, to empower us so that we can be all that God has called us to be and to live a victorious life. Look at me. Why would we not want that? Why would we want to push that away? Why would we be afraid of that? He's our helper. One more time. How many want more? How many want everything that he has for you? That's what we're talking about today. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would remove every, confuse, every confusing thing, every confusing doctrine maybe that we've learned over the years, and we're just going to look at the New Testament. And I pray you would open up your word, that you would reveal these things into every heart, and there would absolutely be no confusion but just power. We receive it this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I apologize ahead of time for my voice. Anybody else struggling with the pollen? I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But it's bad. My throat's closed up. But you know what? (laughs) I don't think that's coincidental, do you? When we come into something like this, into a service like this, with the expectation of what we want to happen, that just puts a target. But you know what? Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the... No weapon formed against me or my family or you or my church is going to prosper. If I have to do sign language this morning, we're going to preach and we're going to receive. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're a guest today, you're here on a great day. If it's your first time, we're at the very end. This is the 10th week of a series called Unwrapped. The first eight weeks, we talked about the motivational gifts. There are three categories of gifts in the New Testament. We only use one English word, gift, and so it can be confusing. But there's actually three Greek words, three categories of gifts. And we talk mostly about the motivational gifts. Just put those up real quickly. Most of us are getting kind of tired of this part of the sermon because we've heard it over and over again. Y'all could do it for me. The motivational gifts are are gifts that we own, that are given to us at birth, that color our worldview, that that, that, that help us, you know, form us, what we're passionate about, what we're good at, what we're not good at. Motivational gifts. There's seven of those in Romans 12. The second is the manifestation gifts. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then the third is ministry, positional gifts that Jesus gives to the church in Ephesians chapter 4. So let's get right into it, because I want to give the Holy Spirit opportunity at the end of this. I hope you've come expecting. I hope you've come, even if you had some doubts, and this isn't your background, I hope you've come expecting 
And you'll be obedient to the Holy Spirit speaking to you. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses, starting with verse 4, let's talk about the manifestation gifts. <clears throat> Paul said there are different kind of gifts, different Greek word there. But the same Spirit distributes them. Whose Spirit is that? What Spirit is that? The Holy Spirit. Not a trick question. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Verse 7, this is our word. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. First thing I want you to understand today is the Holy Spirit uses the manifestation gifts to build up the body of Christ. It's not to highlight any person or personality. It's to build up the body of Christ. Paul confirms this in, in a later chapter in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when he says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, everybody look at me. That's what we're doing right now, right? When we come together as the body of Christ, each of you has a hymn. Okay, we've done that, right? We've had praise and worship together. And then he says, or a word of instruction. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching a revelation. Okay, okay, whoa. Now we're getting a little nervous, going a little past what I'm used to. Hold on. And then a tongue, an interpretation. Okay, now we're out. Gone, Pastor. I'm gone. I'm out. That's why I knew it. Is it in the Word? Are y'all seeing it like I am? But look what the last line says everything. Somebody say everything. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. I want you to read that line with me. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Does that sound bad to you? Does that sound scary? The manifestation gifts are a wonderful thing when we follow the book. Come on, somebody, help me. <laughs> Y'all are still not sure. <laughs> Some of you are really excited, and others are like, mm, I'm not sure. That's all right. That's okay. And listen, let me just insert this. If you're from a background where this is not normally what you talk about or, or, or learn about or, or experience, I'm so glad that you're here. We are all the body of Christ. There's no big use or little, none of that stuff, big eyes, little use. Anyway, I messed that up. We're in this thing together. And even if after today, you, you're still, you may hold back or whatever. I hope you don't. But even if you do, we're still on the same team. I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay and join with us no matter what. So let's go look back at 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to look at these one at a time. <clears throat> Verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. We're going to talk about that. Different kinds of tongues and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. Notice it says through the spirit or by the spirit four times in three verses. 
Don't you think Paul was making sure we understood these gifts are not ours. They are the Holy Spirit's. Nobody's going to take credit. This isn't about your gifting. This isn't about your talent. This isn't about something that you own. It is the Holy Spirit. So let's look at these one at a time. I've got to move quickly with this. You might feel like you're drinking water from a a fire hose this morning, but but otherwise it'll take too long. But we're going to put them on the board with a definition. And you can take pictures of that if you want to or write quickly. All right. Number one, the word of wisdom, word of wisdom, a divine answer or solution for a particular question or challenge, a divine. It's a God answer. You're seeking God, you're fasting, and then suddenly you get this answer that you know you couldn't have come up with or somebody else gives it to you and you confirm it in the word of God. And you're like, that's a God thing. That's a God answer. I feel like our next level dinner and that whole thing to, to raise money for ministry, I feel like God deposited that into me. I'm not smart enough for that. God, I feel like that was a word of wisdom from God as a way for us to be able to raise money, not just to pay the bills and personnel, but to do ministry, to do ministry. The second word of knowledge. Now, that sounds almost like the same thing, but it's not a revelation of information that was previously unknown. If you've been in the church for a while, you've probably had this happen to you. Somebody that's a mature believer. Maybe they're, they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit or, and they operate. How many have ever had anybody read your mail? They've been counseling you or talking to you and you're, they just read your, and you're like, how in the world did you know that? The Holy Spirit. I've been counseling people before and all of a sudden there's an overwhelming sense of specifics about what they're going through, what they're struggling with. And I'll find myself saying it, going, what am I saying? Ah, and it'll just hit them. Their, their jaw will drop. And then we can get down to business and pray. That's the word of knowledge. Um, Jesus, at, with the woman at the well. He, they're talking. And he says, why don't, she, he says, why don't you go back and get, get your husband? <laughs> she said, well, um, I don't really have a husband. He said, you're right in saying that because you've had five. And the guy you're shacking up with now is not your husband. That's a word of, that's pretty specific, isn't it? That's, that's a word of knowledge. Of course, Jesus owns all of these, right? Number three, faith. A supernatural expectancy of four results. I hope there's some supernatural faith in the room this morning. Come on. That was weak. Thank you. I hope there's some, I've, I've, I've been praying for faith this week that I would be expectant as the pastor for what he wants to accomplish uh, in the room. A supernatural God expectancy for results. Um, I was a, when I was a teenager, I was in Mexico on a mission trip and they asked, I don't think they realized how old I was, how young I was. I had a beard at 16, okay, so they, they were like, you know, they asked me to, to preach one night in a meeting. And I didn't know anything else but to believe that people are going to be healed and set free and filled with the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. And so I had a supernatural expectancy. And guess what happened? They did. They did. And then we get back into the United States 
And like I said a few weeks ago, our Western mindset and our being so spoiled works against our faith, doesn't it? Works against our faith. Number four, healing. A special anointing to pray for the sick and for them to recover. Let me just say again, nobody owns the gift of healing. If they say I'm a healing preacher, then what I would say is then why are you not at the hospital? Don't waste your time in here. Come on. That's, that's rough, but that's true. If they, if they were a healing preacher and they could just touch anybody and they could maybe heal, why aren't they doing that in the hospitals? It's because it's the Holy Spirit and it's his will and, and his sovereignty to decide when to flow through us as a conduit and us feel that faith and that unction to pray for somebody and them recover. How many have ever experienced that? Just raise your hand. Amen. Number five, miracles, the demonstration of God's power through an individual that goes beyond natural laws. Real quick example in the Bible, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. Well, that's way beyond natural laws for that to happen. Um, Was it Joshua that God caused the, the sun to stand still? so that they could finish the battle. That's a beyond natural. And there's documented cases of miracles around this world, even today, where things like that have happened. Number six, prophecy. A proclamation of the Holy Spirit through an individual to encourage, strengthen, or comfort. It's a right now word. It's really more about right now than it is about the future. When we talk about prophecy in the New Testament, it's a different thing than you think about Jeremiah or Isaiah or Elijah who are always kind of doomsday. Turn back to God or you're going to be smited. You know, you're going to be destroyed. That's not the same thing as what we talk about in the New Testament. It's more about a right now word of encouragement and strengthening, maybe challenge, but not condemnation. Not doomsday. Okay, that's prophecy. Um, and let me prove that to you. First Corinthians 14, 3, Paul says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their what? Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Guess what? That's where I got that. It's in the word. Number seven, discerning of spirits. And notice that's not discernment. Everybody gets that confused. I got the gift of discernment. It's the discerning of spirits. The Holy Spirit reveals to an individual what type of spirit is working in a given situation. It's a specific thing. It's not a, not a feeling. I remember another mission trip as a teenager. We flew into Haiti. And I was in a little seven-passenger plane. And I, I can remember flying down and landing. And as I flew down, we came through the clouds and landed. I could feel evil. I could sense evil. That's, that's somewhat like that, but I'm talking about a specific being able to say there's a spirit of, of uh, infirmity at work. There's a spirit of suicide or depression at work. That's what I'm talking about. It's a God thing. Nobody owns that. It's a God thing. And then number eight, different kinds of tongues. This is languages spoken through a person by the Holy Spirit that are not understood by the speaker. Everybody look at me. This can be an earthly language or 
a heavenly language. Remember, our scripture says different kinds of tongues. Now, I'm going to take a little more time with this one because this one seems to be the one that really messes everybody up. And we get controversial when we talk about speaking in tongues. So look at the screen. The first, or I'm sorry, the gift of tongues. Everybody say gift. The gift of tongues flows from the Holy Spirit through an individual. From the Holy Spirit through an individual. This is not, this is not the same thing as a prayer language in tongues. Okay, this is not the same thing as a prayer language. A prayer goes from us to God, right? Not the other way around. A prayer language is when the Holy Spirit prays, helps us, our spirit to pray. Holy Spirit, big S, helps our spirit, little s, to pray. But it's from us to God. And that is a private experience or a small group experience where everyone is on the same page. That's a private experience. If you read 1 Corinthians 14... (laughs) You find a church that is really into the manifestation gifts and they, be, they obviously are abusing the gift of tongues. And we get some instruction from Paul. Look at verse uh, 14, 23. This is, this is so practical and real and kind of funny. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your mind? <laughs> Come on, that's funny. It's okay. It's absolutely true. He's saying if everybody comes into church and everybody's just going out and speaking in tongues, woohoo, you know, and then you get somebody from a different denomination come in or an outsider, an unbeliever come in, they're going to head for the hills. They're going to be like, these folks have lost it. That's what Paul, is that in the Bible? Come on, you Pentecostals, is that in the Bible? All right. The non-Pentecostals are going, that's right. Come on, preach it, brother. This is fun. I'm sorry. If it weren't for my voice, I'd really be having fun. Let me show you a quick example of both. The gift of tongues and the prayer language, okay? Acts 2, uh, 1 through 6, this is the gift of tongues. You've heard this before. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is a step. They were already saved. Jesus had had, had died, rose again and ascended to heaven. They had proclaimed him Lord of their life. They were Christians. This was a separate experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse five. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. The disciples, this 120, they were not speaking in a heavenly language tongues. They were speaking in other languages that they had never learned. I've heard missionaries talk about this experience. I talked to somebody yesterday who had an entire conversation in Spanish 
with a woman and did not know Spanish and walked away from it and was like, what just happened? That's the gift of tongues from the Holy Spirit for a certain moment in time and whatever he wants to accomplish in that situation. And what were they saying? Verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. God uses the gift of tongues in this situation to gather a crowd, not to turn people off and have them running away. The crowd came. And because of that, that opened the door for Peter, who had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit, to preach boldly, and 3,000 people got saved. Now, come on, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that something we should be afraid of? That's a good thing. Not a bad thing. The gift of tongues in the right context is a wonderful thing. It's a powerful thing. And then there are times when someone gives out a message in tongues that is a heavenly language in the gift of tongues. But then somebody, we're going to find out the last gift is the interpretation. All right, so now a prayer language. I think he's talking about a prayer language in 1 Corinthians 14, a prayer language from, from, from us to God. In verse 4, it says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds him up himself. Now look at me real quick. I've heard preachers preach this where that's negative. I don't think that's negative. The one who speaks in tongues builds himself up. What did David do when he went back to Ziklag and found that his whole family had been taken and everything? What did the Bible say that he did? He encouraged himself in the Lord. That's what he's talking about. I don't think that's a bad thing. But he says, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now look, look at verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Oh my gosh. Is that in the Bible? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Come on. Yeah. It is in the Bible, isn't it? I think he's talking there. I think my opinion is that he's talking about a prayer language. He's saying, I, I, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Why, Paul? The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. Why, Paul? So that the church may be built up. Because if somebody's is loud and, and, and is praying in tongues, but nobody understands it, it can cause confusion. And it's not uplifting to the church without the interpretation. That's not the same thing. So if you hear, if, if someone speaks in tongues in a service, and this is probably, if you were raised this way, this happened, and nobody interprets, one of two things have probably happened. They're, they're good people. Hey, look, this is not about condemnation. This is not about, you know, if you do this and so nobody interprets, oh, you're out of the church. No. This is instruction. Paul's instructing them. But one of two things have happened. Either that person has gotten a little overzealous, then they're in the worship and they just start speaking in tongues. It's a prayer, though, and nobody interprets. Or there's no one there who, who's obedient to that gift and doesn't interpret Either case, Paul says in that case, be quiet, be silent. 
And I want you to hear me. Praying in the Spirit, in the right context, in private or with a small group who know, who understand, can be an extremely powerful and helpful thing. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 6, 18, that's the, Ephesians 6 is the armor of God. How many remember uh, when I preached about uh, behind enemy lines and the armor of God? The final thing he says in verse 18 is, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. I believe he's talking about praying in tongues, a heavenly prayer language. And that's available to every believer. When I was in sixth grade, I went to a friend's house. Actually, a bunch of us went to a friend's house. I'd never been to this house before. And the next day, we split off into groups of two. I don't know why. I can't remember. But I'd never been in this subdivision. This was somewhere up in this area, actually. And me and this other young man, this this other boy, had no sense of direction. (laughs) I still don't. And we got so lost. We, and we kept trying to find our way, find our way, going to, going to, and we ended up in like three different subdivisions over. Finally, we went to call. But by then, it was like four hours later. They had called the police and reported us missing. It was a major, major thing. So my mom, who was living in Marietta, driving up here, had 30, 45 minutes, and she said all she could do Because she didn't know if I was dead, alive, gone, kidnapped, okay. All she could do was pray in the spirit. Pray in tongues the entire time. And she says it was a grace given to her for that moment. It's a good thing. There's nothing to be afraid of. Number nine, the interpretation of tongues. That's a supernatural ability to express the content of what has been spoken in tongues. Notice it says, express the content. We're not talking about translation, we're talking about interpretation. When I go to another country and I preach and there's an there's a interpreter, they don't do word for word what I say. They, they, they pretty much give the content of what I say. That's why when you hear a, a tongues and interpretation, it may be different time. It may, you know, one, one thing may be really long and one is short. It's the content. Of it, of the message. All right, everybody take a breath. Y'all all right? Everybody still okay? Amen. So the question is, what must happen for these gifts to flow through me? What must happen? What must occur for these gifts to flow through me? The word of God is very clear. Remember last week I told you I wasn't going to preach or teach a Pentecostal doctrine or a non-Pentecostal doctrine. I was going to teach a New Testament doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Everything I preach today can be backed up with the Word of God. And I haven't had time to read all of the scriptures. But if you want to set up an appointment with me, I will do it. And we will go step by step through this. But for us to become a candidate... For these gifts to flow through our life, we must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not getting saved again. This is not getting more saved. (laughs) 
You can't be any more saved than you were when you gave your heart to the Lord. This is a separate experience after salvation. And it's available for every person. Say every person. Every person. Acts 1.8 says, and this is Jesus. He says, but you will receive power when. Everybody say when. You will receive power when. You don't have it now, but you will when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I'll say it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We are not baptized in the Holy Spirit so we can just have great services in here. We are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can affect our world out there for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we receive the baptism, we receive power. That Greek word there is dunamis. It means dynamite. We receive dynamite power to live a life of victory in front of the world. Think about Peter. Think about the apostle Peter. Just a few days before, 50 days before, he was cowering in Caiaphas' courtyard when they were interrogating Jesus on the inside. And he's stuck in a corner warming his hands by the fire. And a little servant girl comes up and confronts him and says, aren't you one of his disciples? And he curses her and says no. And he runs off into the darkness crying and weeping. And then on the day of Pentecost, when he is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he comes out of that room with boldness and literally from the rooftops, he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people are saved. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody give him praise. He could have been arrested and crucified himself. But something had changed. Something had happened. One final scripture. Matthew 3.11. This is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Is that in the word? He will baptize you Jesus is the baptizer. Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And this baptism is for everyone. Peter says, quotes Joel, says this is what Joel was talking about. It's happening. And it's for everyone. It's for your sons and your daughters and for all those afar off. Anybody qualify for being afar off from Israel and from the time period they were in? This did not end with the apostle. This occurrence did not stop when the apostles died. There are three baptisms in the New Testament. I'm I'm getting ready to close. There are three baptisms represented. I wish I had time to really dive into it. But three baptisms represented. The first is when you're saved and you are spiritually baptized into the body of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. When you give your heart to the Lord, he baptizes you spiritually into the church. The second baptism, can you guess it? Water. Water baptism. It's when we go public with our faith and we identify with the death, burial, 
and resurrection of Jesus. If you haven't been water baptized, you need to be water. Does that save us, Pastor? No, it doesn't. You can't, when, if you receive that first baptism and you give your heart, that is all you need to go to heaven. The thief on the cross didn't have a chance to come down and be baptized or filled with the whole, come on. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The second is water baptism. And the third is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus does the baptizing. I want to kind of give you an illustration of this. Do we have it? Come on, guys. Give it up for my friends here. Don't get too close. I'll get wet. I don't want to get wet. I'm already sick. Have a seat, my brother. This is Austin, everybody. Give it up for Austin. (laughs) When we get saved, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit enters our life. And this is crude, but it kind of is like this. Oh, I needed that. That's good. I'm going to do it again. The Holy Spirit enters our life at salvation. But when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit with power, it looks a little more like this. Come on. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet and give God. Come on. Stand to your feet. How many want more than a sip? Come on. How many want more than a sip? Come on, give him praise. How many want more than a sip? Just remain standing. I want to speak to those who have grown up in the Pentecostal church just a second. This may not be popular. I really don't care. Listen. We who identify as Pentecostal, we need to realize that God won't be kept in a box. And we don't have a corner market on the Holy Spirit. He does what He wants, when He wants, where He wants, to who He wants. Jesus. Jesus baptizes those who are seeking Him, who want more, who want to be used of God. And He doesn't check their nameplate to make sure they belong to a Pentecostal church first. He doesn't doesn't matter to Him. You're going to tell me Billy Graham wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit? Oh, but he was Baptist. You're, You're going to tell me that Billy Graham, when he opened his mouth and would preach a simple gospel message and thousands would come and be saved, that that wasn't a special fire and anointing that he had of the, now would he call it the baptism no his growing up and his schooling wouldn't allow him to but God does do you think God cares what we call it or what the result is now he may not I don't know if he did or not have a prayer language he could have if he wanted it because I believe he was filled with the Holy Spirit You have to activate that. Once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have to get alone and get in God's presence and just begin to open your mouth. And it may sound weird at first, but I I promise you, the more you do it and the more it becomes natural. And the Holy Spirit prays through you and in you and it's powerful. 
It's powerful. Who wants more? Who wants more? Who wants more? Who's ready to receive? I want you to be bold. I want you to come down right now. Come on, who's ready to receive? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come on. Let me just tell you, put the big idea up for me, please. Got this out of order. But just put the big idea up. I want them to know this. We receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit just like we receive salvation by faith. By faith. By faith. 